0: Pastor Brad Bergfalk and I am the interim lead pastor, and this is my penultimate Sunday. If you don't know what that word means, you're going to have to go home and look it up. But this is my penultimate Sunday, and I don't know if any of you knew this, but in the last couple of weeks, my wife and I have both had birthdays, and we have uh, we've turned the big one. Yeah, we both turned 40. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Anyway, anyway, so uh, uh, for our birthdays, we decided, you know, since we are moving to the, the Denver area, we thought, you know, why not try to, f- um, to acclimate to the culture of Denver, Denver as much as we can? So my wife bought me a pair of uh, <laughs> cowboy boots. And, and if she was here... If she was here, she would show you her cowboy boots. And here, here's the cool thing. We, we went to a local place here in town. You've probably heard of it, Ni- Nigros Westerns Store. And so the women's boots are in one aisle and the men's boots are in another. And so we went off to try to find the right boot that we like um, with, with no intent. And when we get to the register a few minutes later, we both have the exact same boot it's not it's not often that 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 uh, those kinds of things happen but in that case it was it was wonderful well today is the the, the last sermon that i'm going to preach in this series of sermons that we've been in now for a while called Journey with Jesus, and uh, I, I today would like to, to uh, kind of hit on another sort of foundational uh, characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to journey with Jesus, and uh, it, some some have commented that, that uh, in the last you know, few weeks I've preached with more vigor than Previously, I'm not so sure about that. I, I still feel this as worn out uh, as I, I've always felt after this. But, but I, I, I do want to say to you that, that some of the things that I have preached in the last three, four, or five weeks have been kind of those, those fundamental um, uh, understandings that I have about what it means to follow Jesus. And, I, and for me, leaving here and expressing that has been really important. Uh, at least for me. I I don't know if if it mattered to you or not, but um, if if there's anything I want you to know as as we head west and you anticipate uh, your next pastor heading east, that um, this this relationship that, that God is calling us to have in Jesus is really important. And I stand in front of you every week hopefully trying to make that as clear and as as winsome as I possibly can. Because I think sometimes we we forget about the winsome part, right? And we say, oh, gee, another hard thing I I need to, you know, absorb into my already busy life. Uh, I don't think it needs to be that way, and I hope that somehow I've been able to communicate that. Anyway, so uh, let's speak of what the great commandment is about this morning. And and to kind of get us on the same page, I'd like to read for us from Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Again, it's probably not an, uh, a new scripture to you, uh, but, but try to listen uh, as if it was. Because that, sometimes that's the key to, to listening to God through the scripture, is, is imagining that you have never heard this, this, this uh, dialogue take place before. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, which commandment is first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all of your heart, with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all uh, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. So Jesus is is teaching on this great commandment that is foundational for our understanding of what it means ultimately to be a follower of Jesus, to be a religious person, to be a person that has dedicated their lives to something other than their own pursuits. And, and to sum it all up, at the outset, and if you don't hear anything else that I say today, um, this is what this is about. This encounter between Jesus and the teacher of the law addresses the crux of Christian discipleship. And, and there are two marks of Christian discipleship. And the first mark of Christian discipleship is to love God. And the second mark of Christian discipleship is to love neighbor. So now for those of you who are sitting here in the building and those of you watching online uh, who think or have the tendency to overcomplicate this thing called Christian faith, I, I implore you that, that Jesus is not overcomplicating things here. So why do we sometimes do that, right? Love God and love neighbor. Now let's take a look at these two characteristics of discipleship as we, as we conclude this series of sermons that I've called The Journey with Jesus, and as I, as I prepare to wrap my ministry up here at uh, Hillcrest Church. And I, and I think this is a fitting place as well for us to, to conclude because as we have been on this journey with Jesus for the last few weeks or months, um, I, I want to conclude with what I think is a fitting starting place for us to continue our journey with Jesus, right? Because it's not like it, it's not like it comes to an end. I mean, once you get on the once you get on the journey, um, it's it's a ride. But it, it, um, there's no place that you can kind of say, "Okay, I'm done. Thanks, God. It's been a fun little a fun little stroll with you on this little part." So, so we're, really, you and I are going to continue on this journey with Jesus. I'll just be doing it in, uh, in the Denver, Colorado area, and you'll be doing it here in Prairie Village, Kansas. And they will, we will have the joy of knowing that we're both doing it in different parts of the, of the world. Now, you have in this picture that uh, has been painted for us this morning, a learned teacher of the law who approaches Jesus with, I believe, an honest question. I don't think this this teacher of the law, because sometimes they, they're they a little sneaky this way, but I don't think he was trying to trap Jesus. I don't think he was trying to catch Jesus uh, speaking something that would get Jesus further in trouble. I mean, there are places in the New Testament where questioners do that. I, that's not how I see this, this teacher. And he approaches with this honest question and he's described in the gospel as a teacher of the law. So what that means is we can assume that he's well versed in, in, uh, in religion. He's well versed in, in, in Jewish law and he's well versed in the nuances of their Bible of that day, which was the Torah. And as a Jewish teacher, he most likely had spent years probably sitting at the feet of some rabbi who from whom he learned all of the things that he learned. They didn't have public school systems back in those days. So if you wanted to be educated, and, and, and typically that happened in sort of the upper upper echelon, uh, uh, upper social echelon, and it was typically males, I'm sorry to say that, but if you wanted to be educated, you attached yourself to some rabbi, and you followed that rabbi around, and you sat down with that rabbi, and you listened to that rabbi as that rabbi spoke about the the deeper truths of, uh, of, of their religious experience and practice. And I, I have a hunch that if, if, if asked, this particular uh, teacher of the law could probably recite all 613 laws that are found in the Torah and additionally reference probably some of the, the rabbis' comments, commentary throughout history from the Talmud because that's what Jewish rabbis could do. Jesus responds to the teacher's questions by quoting a very familiar scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That was kind of like the John 3.16 of the ancient Judaism. Everybody knew that passage. Everybody could quote that passage. And so here um, Jesus quotes this scripture to this teacher. This, this particular passage from Deuteronomy is, is often referred to as the Shema. And the Shema is quoted every morning and every evening in, uh, in the homes of of faithful adherents of Judaism, even to this day. And by answering like this, I think what Jesus is really doing here is he's trying to establish some common ground with his questioner while at the same time he's pointing out that he too, Jesus that is, is familiar and understands some of the nuances of the the law. Now, if you remember back in, in, in Jesus' uh, childhood when his parents took him to Jerusalem and, and, and he got lost, and you remember where they found him? They found him sitting with the Jewish teachers. Uh, Jew, Jesus uh, was a practitioner of, of the religion of his day, which was Judaism. And then Jesus does something interesting. He's, he adds an additional answer to what's most important. So it's not just love God. He says love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love neighbor. And that's what I, what I think is so cool about this particular passage and this particular emphasis and it's kind of uh, to sort of to illustrate even what's going on here at Hillcrest Church this drive that we're doing for Mission Aliante is a way for us as the people of God to love our neighbor and sure we're going to unload our you know stuff we don't want too so so there's a double benefit for that right and, and we could think of a variety of ways in which um, in which our faith is expressed by our love for our neighbor For Jesus, love is the essence of the Christian life. Love for for Jesus is evidenced by one's devotion to God, and love for neighbor is exhibited by one's compassion and generosity towards others. Let me say that again. Love for God is evidenced by one's devotion, and love for neighbor is exhibited by one's compassion and generosity towards others. Again, it's not that complicated. So what does love for God and neighbor actually look like? So the questions that immediately come to mind as we consider these two important injunctions concerning uh, Christian discipleship is is what does it look like to love God and what does it look like to love neighbor? Um, I I like what the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard uh, said when he summarized what love for God looks like in the title of one of his books that said, purity of heart is to will one thing. This title evokes a, a, a... a picture of love for God that is a singleness of heart with purpose to which the follower of Jesus is committed. And I think that, that, that um, sometimes we get trapped in this, this cycle of religious experience where we forget that. That this is an all-in, all-or-nothing proposition. Proposition. I mean, it's a bit like, uh, I don't know if any of you play poker, but uh, if you play poker or watch it on TV or whatever, there's a point that you have a whole bunch of hands that are really not so good and you try to bluff your way and, you know, you you often fold before you lose most of your chips. But then when you get a really good hand, what do you do? You, You lean over and you push all of your chips in and you say, I'm all in. Christian discipleship is an all-in experience. That's what that's what Kierkegaard is saying. And when our hearts are directed towards God, we don't allow unnecessary distractions that, that, that don't matter, that's that's the key thing, that don't matter to get in the way of our vision of what, what God is inviting us to. This 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 life of discipleship. You know, see the idea of loving God in the ancient world and today, it hasn't changed that much. It, it's, it looks the same. The practice of devotion to God hasn't, hasn't changed all that much. Our love for God is reflected in our practice of our worship. It, the way we worship might be a little different than the way they did back then, but, ne- but we're still both worshiping in a, in a sense. And our intention to put God's priority ahead of our own priorities, that's not different. The only thing that's different is, about the, is the distraction, is the, is the busyness of our lives that keeps us from that, that un, uh, undistracted focus on our relationship to God. Do you remember the parable, uh, uh, the rich young man, or rich ring ruler, I guess? Uh, the young man was not able to place God's priorities ahead of his own priorities. And, and when he wasn't, um, he walked away with his head down. I mean it was a fairly simple clear cut proposition uh, either either you can either you're all in or you're not so to actively worship God and, and pursue God's priorities and have the calling card, uh, has been the calling card of Christianity since the very beginning, and things are not that much different. And, and I think it's good for us to remind ourselves of that from time to time because uh, sometimes we have historical amnesia and we think that we came up with all of these good ideas and they weren't around before us. Most, most likely it's not true. They've been around for a long time. You see, when we love God, it is not a part-time pursuit. It's not something that we do once in a while when we're in a jam and we need God to help us out of the jam, right? It's not even something that we can do half-heartedly. When we express our love for God, we do so in grateful response to God's love and mercy already poured out to us. We're not doing anything to initiate this relationship. All we are doing is responding to the fact that God has already initiated God's love toward toward us. The first principle of spiritual formation is a spiritually formed person loves God and others. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight, he wrote a book a few years ago called The Jesus Creed. If you want to explore this passage, this love command, in any more detail, or if you want to have a Bible study or or a book study, I would highly recommend uh, Scott's book. Uh, Scott and I know each other, and uh, I've actually used it in a previous church. And he kind of he kind of lays it out, and it's and it's it's a wonderful um, book. The first principle of spiritual formation is this a spiritually formed person loves God and loves others. Again, Scott's not saying anything that I haven't just said to you a minute ago. But I think sometimes we read the great commandment and and we stop there. We we measure our devotion only by that first part of the verse. We measure our devotion by our attendance and worship, except during a pandemic. Um, or the number of Bible studies that we attend. And I'm often amazed by some of your, uh, some of your um, devotion to multiple Bible studies in any given week and, and, and other Christian activities that we might do. And if we're not careful, our only basis for loving in God involves all the things that we do for God in, in order for God to be pleased with us. This is not, this is not what this... Text is pointing to. And this is where the, great, the second great commandment, I think, comes in to play. For Jesus, the well rounded life of a disciple not only engages in, in this sort of vertical relationship between us and God, it also includes this, this horizontal, uh, horizontal relationship between us and others. The measure of our love for our neighbor is the same as the love that we have for ourselves. So let me ask you, how much time did you spend in front of the mirror this morning loving yourself, getting ready to be here? Is it possible to give somebody else the same uh, break or the same affection that you give yourself? Of course it is. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a moment. In, in that very statement, Jesus is providing us with sort of the, with the, the measuring stick of assessing our horizontal relationship with one another. He doesn't just say, love your neighbor and stop there and then leave us to try to figure out what exactly does that look like. He says, love your neighbor in the same way that you love and care for yourself. Early in the, in the COVID epidemic, my wife got me a mask that says on it, love your neighbor. Maybe you've seen me wear it from time to time. And as I've worn that mask around out in public, um, I was surprised at first, but people would l- look at me wearing that mask and they would say, man, that's a great mask. Where'd you get that mask? And I received, practically every time I went out, somebody would comment about this mask. And, and I, I, it's not because I'm trying to make some sort of political point about mask wearing. I'm making a theological statement when I wear a mask that says, love your neighbor. I'm making a statement about the character of God, about the character of the love of God that comes right out in this passage. Folks, if we as followers of Jesus, of all people, are not prepared to love our neighbor under any circumstance, then what is the point? Really? We are to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves. Lamar Williamson says it like this. That is, we are to be tolerant of, listen to this, We're to have time for, we're to be interested in, we're to to make excuses for, we're to deeply desire the welfare of our neighbor in the same way that we have these attitudes towards ourselves. Did you hear that? There's some amazing stuff in there to grab onto of what neighbor love actually looks like. Be tolerant. There are some weeks where I could just stop there. (laughs) Have time for. Be interested in. Make excuses for. And deeply desire the welfare of all behaviors that reflect neighbor love. While I'm on a roll, quoting smarter people than me about the nature of neighbor love, let me add one more for for perspective. Richard Rohr. This will make some of you happy. Some of you it will not make happy, but that's okay. If we walk around with hatred all day, morally we're just as much killers as the one who pulls the trigger. We can't live that way and not be destroyed from within. Yet, for some reason, many Christians have thought it acceptable to think and feel hatred, negativity, and fear. Jesus tells us not to harbor hateful anger or call people names in our hearts like fool or or worthless person. If we're walking around all day thinking, what idiots, we're living out of death, not life. It's that it 's that what we think and feel it 's what we will be death, energy instead of life force. we cannot afford even inner disconnection from love. How we live in our hearts is our real and deepest truth and I think what I like about this is that that this love of neighbor starts here it starts here um, we can 't say well, our neighbors we don 't really like our neighbors because they They throw their their leaves over the fence to our side of the fence, or whatever. It it starts here. It doesn't really. It's not about our neighbors at all, right? Roar picks up this this very practical character of neighbor love, and he suggests that the lack of love for our neighbor isn't just when we pull the trigger, although that is, you know, sort of the the epitome of, of not loving. But it's thinking negatively about our neighbor. It's it's that's just as destructive. The crux of Christian discipleship comes down to answering these two questions. How do I express my love for God? How do I express my love for God? And, you know, the answer that each of us have is going to be slightly different because God has us in very different contexts, in very, very different places. We all come out of a background that's slightly different. But the question is, is the same. How do I express my love for God? And how do I represent God's love to my neighbor? Jesus' answer is this, as I wrap up. Love God as a practice of your devotion to God and love your neighbor to the same extent that you love yourself. Now, at first, this might seem like it's pretty straightforward and easy to accomplish. Love God, love neighbor, but not so fast. Some of the time, we are good at loving God. I mean, we're here, right? We're, we're sitting in front of our screen at home, uh, and we could be doing other things on a nice Sunday morning. Sometimes we can check all of the boxes in our love for God, and sadly, sometimes we're not so good at it. And there are days when we, when we can't love God if our life depended on it, you know, we're mad at God, we're, not, we're too busy to pay attention to sort of, sort of that, that aspect of our faith, yet we do okay caring for our neighbors. What makes this great commandment as relevant today as it was the day that Jesus spoke these words is that you can't really do one without the other. You can't love God and hate your neighbor And you can't love your neighbor and ignore God. That's the brilliance of this this passage, this great commandment that Jesus is laying out for us today. You see, one, one of the injunctions points us in the direction of our relationship to God. And one of the injunctions points us in the direction of those around us. And each of these stands in tension sometimes. To love God without loving neighbor risks devoting ourselves to personal piety and, and spiritual practice without any content. To love our neighbor without loving God runs the risk of simply adding another requirement to our religious to do list, which in most cases is already too long. Look at Jesus' response to his questioner at the end of this passage when he says, you are not far from God's kingdom. I think what Jesus is saying is, if you understand the integral relationship between love of God and neighbor, then you are beginning to understand what life in God's kingdom looks like. So if you still think that you can attend worship on Sunday and, and show no regard for others on Monday through Saturday, then, then you may not be as close to God's kingdom as you think. On the other hand, there are, there are times when we need to get out and we need to just pour our lives into people, neighbors who need us, And if you're not willing to do that, the same is true. The two foundational relationships that I want you to hear me say unequivocally today is our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. It's not always gonna be easy. There are going to be times when family commitments and job responsibilities and uh, other issues that we are currently facing uh, in our lives and in our families that will make it extraordinarily difficult for us to manage the two polarities of this this, uh, great commandment. But I I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Continue to find ways to express your devotion to God. If that means this week you you decide to participate in our twice-a-week prayer, 15 minutes, then do it. Let that be your entryway back into that, that, um, that avenue of loving God. And, and if you're a little light uh, on the loving neighbor side, if, if during this COVID time, you've found yourself kind of hunkering down and protecting yourself and your family and and not really giving a rip about uh, about people around you, then maybe, maybe uh, this coming week you, you show up here and help out our friends, our neighbors at Mission Aliante as, as they collect uh, furnishings and clothing to, to be uh, distributed in KCK. Would that each of us might hear these words from Jesus not as a scold, but as an invitation. An invitation to a spiritual life that is rooted in real world faith. Because who wants to have a spiritual life that's in la-la land? Nobody does. And at the same time, it's a spiritual life that is hopelessly devoted to God. And committed as the day is long to our neighbor if there ever was a congregation that is capable of this Hillcrest it's you Wherever we fall in this tension of loving you with all of our heart, O oh God, and at the same time extending ourselves to our neighbor, bring us back to the center, to Jesus so that wherever we find ourselves, whether it's in worship as we are now, whether it's at our place of work, whether it's going for a walk in the park, whether it's standing on the sidelines watching our children compete in athletics, whether it's helping our kids with their homework, whatever it is, will you begin to shape our faith and our lives in such a way that we can love you and we never forget about loving our neighbor? That's my prayer. Be at work in us this week, O God, in the name of Jesus Christ.